Welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, my contributor, none other than Farron Cousins, host, Ring of Fire, and a remarkable analyst and person. Top story of the day. Okay, Mike Lindale, the My Pillow Man, says that the FBI stole his cell phone at a Hardee's. Also, Donald Trump is making all of his attorneys have to now get attorneys themselves. MAGA, making attorneys get attorneys. Let me first start with the video of Mike Lindale. Here it is. Today, the FBI, uh, you're gonna hear this, and you're probably already hearing it in the news. The FBI came after me and took my phone. They surrounded me at a Hardee's and uh, took my phone that I run all my business, everything with. Um, um, they could have just, what we've done is weaponize the FBI. Um, it's disgusting. I don't have a computer. Everything I do up that phone, everything was on there. And, uh, um, and they told me not to tell anybody. Here's an order not to, don't tell anybody. Okay, I won't. <laughs> well, I am. So. Yeah, as I've said before, I think Mike Lindell is back on crack cocaine. That's my conclusion. All right, let's go ahead and dig into it. According to the My Pillow Man, the FBI raided him at a heart, took his cell phone, and he does not have a computer. Woe is me. I don't even own a computer. Sir, you proclaim to be a multimillionaire. If you don't own a computer or a backup plan, that's your damn fault, not mine, nor the FBI's. All right, here it is, my pillow CEO and prominent conspiracy theorist, Mike Lindell, claims that the FBI executed a search warrant while he was at a fast food restaurant in Minnesota. Mike Lindell claims to the Daily Beast that the FBI seized his phone at a Hardy's restaurant, according to Zachary Patrizzo, based on reporting. Lindell had previously claimed his phone records were subpoenaed by the House Select Committee investigation as they are investigating the January 6th terrorist attack. It is unknown if the reported seizure is related to a flood of recent activity by federal prosecutors. The Justice Department officials have seized the phones of two top advisors to former President Donald Trump and blanketed his aides with about 40 subpoenas in a substantial escalation of the investigation into his efforts to subvert the 2020 election. People familiar with the inquiry said on Monday, the New York Times reported. So what does this mean? Okay, well, the grand jury, the federal grand jury, is substantiating this seizure or these seizures of particular items. They are connected to material issues that need to be answered in a court of law. That's what's happening. All right, the seizure of the phones coupled with a widening effort to obtain information from those around Mr. Trump after the 2020 election represents some of the most egregious or aggressive steps the department has taken thus far in its criminal investigation into the actions that led to the January 6, 2021 assault on the Capitol by a pro-Trump mob. The grand jury, the federal grand jury, is likely investigating multiple dynamics connected to one goal, which was to overthrow democracy as we know it. 
the grand jury in the state of Georgia is investigating multiple dynamics of election fraud, including the fake elector scheme. Now, Donald Trump, he likely is the reason why his attorneys are in trouble. Remember when they said there was no additional, no more classified information at the former president's home? Well, that was a material misrepresentation of fact. Now they got to get attorneys. Former U.S. attorney Joyce Vance told MSNBC's Nicole Wallace Tuesday that a newly unsealed portion of the DOJ's affidavit behind the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago suggests former President Donald Trump helped to conceal the existence of more documents at his private home. That's called criminal conspiracy. Criminal conspiracy only requires the meeting of two minds. That's it. That is criminal conspiracy. There's more. Vance appeared to be referring to the certified letter that former AON host and Trump lawyer Christina Bob reportedly signed declaring all materials taken from the White House at Mar-a-Lago had been returned to the National Archives. The statement turned out to be false as over 100 more classified information or classified documents were recovered from Trump's possession in early August, according to the FBI. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road, okay? This attorney is a Trumpite. She's part of the cult. But she may get a rude awakening now because her actual signature could cause her a criminal charge. And obviously, the, the defense is going to be, well, I just trusted my, my client's word for it. Not good enough. It's not how this works in lawyer world. If you had a good faith reason to not believe your client because of, I don't know, him historically lying, then you as an attorney are obligated to engage in due diligence before you make a misrepresentation to the court. That is how the rule works. There's more of an implication, she says, in this newly released information that the former president did in fact play a role in the provision of information about documents to whoever the lawyer who certified this information to the Justice Department, Vance continued, adding. So this gives DOJ more of a basis to move forward. And of course, because this involves the grand jury, subpoenas are not documents that are ultimately seized in the search. DOJ is free to move forward with inquiries to witnesses without violating Judge Cannon's order. Judge Cannon, the federal judge that Trump appointed, who may have in fact committed obstruction of justice, made a ruling, a disastrous ruling, an unprecedented ruling, by appointing a special master. That's not abnormal, that happened. But a special master is a third party attorney who will look at evidence seized by the government and say, this is covered by attorney-client privilege, and this is not. That's all they do. Well, this judge has given this particular uh, special master special powers that no other special master has ever had. The special power is this. She says he can also determine what information is covered by executive privilege, which is not settled law. Does executive privilege exist beyond the presidency? There is no court ruling to settle that issue, and there is no statutory dynamic. The judge has literally appointed an individual to make that decision for everybody in this country. All right, 
My dear brother, Bear, what are your thoughts here? Um, there's a, a lot to unpack. Obviously, President Biden could actually settle this whole executive privilege thing, That's you know, right. rather quickly by just coming out and saying, hey, listen, none of it as the president, I'm going to tell you, none of it's covered by executive privilege. So there you go. And, and I wish he would. I know he wants to stay out of it. And I understand that probably for political reasons he needs to. But at the same time, that would end that argument, you know, in a heartbeat. But with regard to Trump lawyers being in so much trouble, the thing I find so hilarious about it is that they continue to make the situation worse for themselves. I mean, Alina Haba goes on TV, I think it was two weeks ago, and says that she knows the documents that were in Mar-a-Lago were not all over the floor because she's seen them. And she says he has people down there all the time, which does you know, refute Christina Bob signing in August that, nope, you've got them all back when his own other lawyer is on TV saying, no, we all knew they were down there. Like she ruined any kind of defense they may have on that and kind of implicated herself too in this like, oh yeah, we know we lied to the FBI and DOJ when we signed that filing. So all of them are in trouble. And of course, Poor little Mike Lindell, right? I mean, the guy just wants to get his thick burger and ends up losing <laughs> his cell phone to the FBI. But he is he's in a whole heap of trouble uh, with regards to what's going out there and uh, going on out there in Colorado with Tina Peters, because in that in that filing that he you know showed, even though the FBI told him he's not allowed to, he's listed as a co-conspirator. He and about, you know, eight or nine other individuals are listed as co-conspirators to the crimes that Tina Peters has been charged with. So this is not just, oh, we need to look at your cell phone, Mr. Lindell. This is, we're looking for evidence so we can charge you. He is a direct target. And I don't know if he can even comprehend the danger that he is in right now. I mean, he doesn't seem all there to me. Uh, you know, I've been paying close attention to the guy for a long time and he could end up and I think he likely will end up very soon with criminal charges against him yeah. uh, just for Colorado. You know, that doesn't even include what the DOJ is looking at and the January 6th committee. So that guy's in deep trouble. All of Trump's friends just seem to be going down at, at an alarming rate for them. You know, it's great for democracy that we're seeing this. But Trump has got to be just almost wetting himself at this point because everybody close to him is getting a subpoena. This has to be the worst experience of a former president in the history uh, history of this country. Uh, and to Mike Lindell, here's what he probably does not know. Mike, if they have a warrant to come and take your phone, sir, they're not taking your phone to check your phone. They already did that. They're taking your phone to preserve the evidence for presentation in court. Free advice. I'm not even charging for that. We did a story last week about a principal who physically abused special needs students. And I wanted action quickly because that principal was, was able to be re-employed by another school system. Here's the video that rocked the world. 
This is the special needs student talking to the principal. Other adults are around. It does not seem to be combative. Now, the student says something. Principal, student engage, and then this happens. Yeah. All of the adults should have engaged in a citizen's arrest. I don't know why they decided to ignore the actions of this principal. And then we got information that he abused that same kid a few months before that. He was working again inside of another school in the state of California. I have an update to that story. Uh, Let's put up his picture full mass. We covered this story last week. California principal has been charged now. Finally, after we covered it, he has now been charged with child abuse and child endangerment after that video surfaced showing him pushing a special needs student to the floor. On Tuesday, the man you're looking at, Ryan Volhart, the former principal at Walters Elementary School in Fresno, California, was captured on camera assaulting a, an 11-year-old autistic child and later charged with willful cruelty to a minor. Originally, when the principal called the student's guardian, Anne Frank, he told her that the child actually assaulted him. That's what he said, rushing her to come and pick him up. Once she arrived at the school, the student told Frank what happened to him, and she contacted the authorities to look into the criminal offense. Within one day of the assault, Allhart, the principal, was placed on administrative leave by the Fresno Unified District. So they got rid of him. The district said on Thursday, June 9th, they reported the incident to the police and to Child Protective Services. Once again, they follow complete protocol here. So what happened? Why was he not arrested? Why did the investigation go nowhere until we exposed it on the airwaves? Here's why. A police investigation was in fact launched originally. That took place over the summer, prompting Volhart, who has a specialized certification for handling students with autism, to resign. You have a man who has the credentials, he has the academic uh, background, and he has the training, he just lacks the heart. He was not out of work long. He was hired as the vice principal at Tranquility High School in the Golden Plains Unified District. That district was notified about the incident on Wednesday, September 7th, and saw the video on the same day as the rest of the community. And then that guy who abused the child was placed on administrative leave. The mother of the child, she's wondering, okay, listen, what the hell is going on here, right? And before I get to that, let me make it very plain. The investigation was launched. According to the police, the investigation got classified in the wrong category. And all of the investigative dynamics that should have been connected to this or not. That is what the police are saying. Well, it's clear to me the principal has friends in the police department and he was able to make this thing completely go away. The mother of the child had to complain at the beginning of September to the Fresno Police Department to have them take action on the case. It had lingered because the district had not automatically shared video footage with the authorities. An arrest warrant affidavit took months to be uh, to be formed 
and states the student was yelling and getting in the face of the principal. According to Volhart, at one point, the boy formed his hand into a fist and pressed it against him. Lies. Volhart is scheduled in court for arraignment on Monday, September 22nd, uh, 26th, excuse me. We are going to continue to follow this story until it is complete. This is a child abuser. The system was going to allow him to remain engaged with students, even though they knew he abused them. Um, calls to Tranquility High School in regards to this uh, latest issue have not been answered. I'm still waiting on uh, an answer on record so that we can tell you. All right, Cousins, what are your thoughts here, brother? Um, well, first of all, when you watch the video, you see the the anger. I mean, this is an immediate gut reaction from that principal. Just a, that immediate spark of anger, which already tells you right there, this guy should never be allowed around kids. But also from just a more personal perspective here, you know, you talk about this guy is, is, is certified, you know, to be able to handle uh, perhaps the physical aggressor children. Well, so is my wife. And for many mm. years here in the state of Florida, as an educator, those were the students that she had, the physically aggressive students. Um, you know, she she has been injured uh, or had been injured by students in the past while she was doing this, but they never, ever, ever retaliated. It, no matter what the children said, no matter the physical abuse they had, they're, they're taught ways, at least here, to calm them, to help restrain them, you know, non-physical type things, occasionally physical if you have somebody who's a real threat. But my wife is a tiny little little woman, okay? She's about 5'2", five, 5'3", five, and she handles these situations, or at least at the time, was handling them almost every day and never once rose to the level that that man did. And I'm talking about a woman who had surgery as a result of some of the aggression she suffered at the hands of these kids and never once rose to that level. So there's something with that guy, with that former principal, that's not clicking right up here because there are ways to handle kids. And especially one just walking up to you, it doesn't even matter what that kid said, that reaction from that man, there is no way to stretch that to where that was acceptable. I, I firmly believe personally, there's something wrong with him because I have seen plenty of great teachers handle and de-escalate situations without ever having to lay a hand on a child. Uh, there's no excuse for it, ever. Very well said, and let me just give a big shout out to your wife. Uh, my mother, the woman who adopted me, is a school teacher. She was a school teacher at that time. She's a school teacher today. Um, she loves children. That's what it takes in order to engage the right way. Uh, this particular principal, uh, he is in fact a bully and a coward. I'm gonna continue to stay on top of it until full adjudication. teenager being raped, being trafficked, and decides to stand up for herself, defend herself. She kills the monster that did this to her, freeing her and many others in the process. She gets arrested, she gets prosecuted, and now she has to pay money to the family of the man who raped her. Only in America. Put up a picture full mass. 
a teen human trafficking victim who fatally stabbed her accused rapist was sentenced Tuesday in Iowa court. Piper Lewis, 17 years of age, who was initially charged with first degree murder. We got on top of this quickly in the advocacy community and they changed it. She was sentenced to five years of closely supervised probation. Initially, they wanted to give her many years in prison. They have converted that to five years of probation, 600 hours of community service, and ordered to pay $150,000 restitution to her rapist family. She pleaded last year to involuntary manslaughter and willful injury for the June 2020 killing of a 37-year-old Zachary Brooks of Des Moines. Both charges were punishable by up to 10 years in prison. Now, is this making sense to anybody? The prosecutor, they know what he did. There's no ambiguity. They're not saying, oh, well, you know, maybe he didn't do that. We don't know for sure. No, they know exactly what he did. They know exactly what kind of business he operated. This is self-defense. This is in the defense of yourself and in the defense of others. But she got charged. And if it had not been for the community getting involved, she would have had those 10 years in prison. She should not have been charged at all. I thought conservatives in particular were okay with self-defense. Put up a picture of the monster who did this to her. Brooks was one of the men. Then 15-year-old Miss Lewis was forced to have sex with. Brooks had raped Lewis multiple times in the weeks leading up to his death. After Brooks had raped her yet again, Lewis grabbed a knife from a bedside table, stabbed him more than 30 times. Polk County DA, Polk County District Judge, excuse me, David M. Porter on Tuesday deferred those two 10-year prison sentences. All right, he deferred them. Once again, should not have been necessary. Should have been dropped. She should, ha she should have no criminal record whatsoever. But if Lewis violates any portion of her probation, she could be sent to prison to serve a 20-year term. This is not fair anywhere. This is the criminal justice system showing you exactly what it is. It's operating the way it was designed to operate. Typically, women, especially young women, young girls, they don't have gravitas in that system. She killed a rapist. She should go home with a medal. Man molested, raped, child. That child killed. What, what are we doing here? Why is this a story? She should have no charges whatsoever. And there is a possibility at exoneration later. It could get overturned on the pill as well. There are options still available. But her plea sealed the actual conviction on the record. The penalty is ridiculous. As for being required to pay restitution, let's talk about this. 
is to the estate of the rapist. The court is presented with no other option, Porter said, noting the restitution is mandatory under Iowa law that has been upheld by the Iowa Supreme Court. Put the judge back up for a minute because I want to say this uh, to the judge directly. The judge does a solid on one hand where he basically suspends time in prison. And then he says, but I have no choice but to order you to pay $150,000 in restitution. Not true, judge, based on my research. You could have made a ruling called in the interest of justice because your ruling would have in fact been contrary to the letter of the statute in Iowa. It would have been aligned to the virtue of justice. Your court is allowed to make rulings in the interest of justice. I checked, maybe you should too. You could have done contrary to what you did. Officials said Lewis was a runaway who was seeking to escape an abusive life with her adopted mother and was sleeping in the hallways of a Des Moines apartment building when a 28-year-old man took her in before trafficking her to other men for sex. She recounted being forced at knife point by the 28-year-old man to go to Brooks' apartment for sex. Police and prosecutors have not disputed, not disputed, that Miss Lewis was sexually assaulted, molested, trafficked, prostituted as a child. No dispute. But prosecutors have argued that Brooks was asleep at the time he was stabbed and not in immediate danger to Lewis. Iowa is not among the dozens of states that have a so-called safe harbor law that gives trafficking victims at least some level of criminal immunity. Prosecutors took issue with Lewis calling herself a victim in the case and said she failed to take responsibility for stabbing Brooks and leaving his kids without a father. The judge peppered Lewis with repeated questions to explain what poor choices she made that led up to Brooks stabbing and expressed concern that she sometimes did not want to follow rules set for her in juvenile lockup. Well, young lady, you need to learn a lesson. Damn shame, isn't it? Iowa does have an affirmative defense law that gives some leeway to victims of a crime if the victim committed the violation under compulsion by another's threat of serious injury, provided that the defendant reasonably believed that such injury was imminent. Prosecutors argued Tuesday that Lewis waived that affirmative affirmative defense when she pleaded guilty to manslaughter and willful injury. That is correct. She did waive it based on the law. I don't know what kind of lawyer she had on her side, if she had one at all. But this thing should have gone all the way to trial. That's what should have happened. Okay. Uh, fair thoughts here. Yeah, th this is one of those stories that just absolutely makes your blood boil because this young woman, for most of her life, has been a victim based on what we know, right? Came from this abusive household, tried to escape that, and like so many other victims of human trafficking, became a victim even further after that. That is where we see a lot of these human trafficking victims come from, runaways trying to escape an abusive household. I mean, I, I've, I've spoken to so many survivors of human trafficking that this is almost textbook. And so what happens is they end up in yet another abusive situation. And it's almost, uh, according to some of the people I've talked to, because that's 
That's what they know. That's how life has always been for some of these individuals. So she becomes a victim again. And then now she's a victim of our lopsided, completely backwards justice system here in the United States. What she did clearly was self-defense. And, you know, you brought up the conservatives, you know, oh, they, they typically like this. Yeah, there's a lot of people that were defending Kyle Rittenhouse up and down who are just totally silent about what's happened with this poor young woman now. And when they when they put on her ankle monitor, they said, we got to make sure you don't return to that life of, of, of being human trafficked, of being a human trafficking victim. This wasn't a life that she chose. It was something she was forced into. And the court is still, and the justice system still treating her like she is the one who's done all these things wrong in her life. It is absolutely sick and disgusting the way this young woman is being treated and the way so many victims of human trafficking are treated every day in this country as if it's their fault they ended up in these situations. Very well said, uh, dear brother. And let me say this in closing. <clears throat> She's a child. She was a child when it happened. She's a child today. She was 15 when it happened. She's 17 today. She's still a child. This is a miscarriage of justice to the highest level. She killed her rapist. That took courage. She should receive an award. She's a hero. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You feel French! Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Pay the bill, bitch. My boyfriend said he pays the bill. What do you guys want me to do? Yeah, well, I'm like, you know what? Still, if you want to play that, I know I used to work for Denny's, and I know that this is a civil matter. You guys do not. I can sue them. Karenicity is out of control with this one. So let me give you some background here. According to the narrative, she left an item at the store, at the restaurant. So she came back to retrieve her property. Well, come to find out, her and her boyfriend or male acquaintance, they actually skipped the bill, did not pay. That's according to the narrative. Instead of saying, wait a minute, he didn't pay, let me give him a call. Or maybe, well, let me go ahead and take care of that right now. We'll work this out with him later. She gets angry and decides to engage in more aggressive behavior, showing her privilege. Now, these people have just told you, you committed a crime. You ate food, left. It's a no-no. Which also means the person who waited on you, they didn't get a tip. Now, damn the food. Somebody should have got a tip. Now, that's the part that I get upset about. These individuals oh. typically are making $2.15 an hour. They served you. They received no tip.
Fool be damned, as far as I'm concerned. Somebody should have got a tip. All right. Um, I thought this was interesting, Farron, because obviously what happened was a mistake where she left her item. She comes back and is told, hey, you all didn't pay your bill. She doesn't give a damn. She gets angry and walks out, grabs something else and walks out. What are your thoughts here? You know, if you look at it almost like a contract, right? When you enter the restaurant, you sit down, you order your food. You've basically entered into an agreement that you're going to pay for this food. And by failing to pay, but leaving your personal property behind, you might even be able to argue that it's basically a trade, right? Mm. We gave you a service, you failed to pay us, but you left us behind something of value instead. So you could get, if this, if she does want to press charges and sue everybody, you could get a very skilled orator as your lawyer that would be able to argue that, listen, the cell phone itself became payment. It was an exchange of property of value for something of value to you. And so I, I, I don't know how successful that would be, but I would love to see it happen because these people sometimes need a little bit more kick in the pants than just being publicly shamed. They need to be shamed by the justice system itself because all they ever wanna do is threaten, I'm gonna sue you, I'm gonna sue everybody, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And it kind of needs to come back at them a little bit harder, uh, you know, with the justice system getting involved. So I'd love to see that. I don't know if it will, but I'd love to see it happen. But you make a great point about her leaving property behind. Maybe this was collateral. Maybe this was yes. in lieu of the payment yet coming. Anti-Karens unite. You're screaming at employees at Walmart. Get out of here. That's racist. Yes, it is. No, it's not. The United States doesn't have an official language, jackass. Shame on you. You need to work on your people you know skills. What? And you are not welcome back. Don't you ever I speak to me like that. Good. Thank place. you. You are a Karen. You, know you are the definition of a Karen. And we are not putting up with that in 2022. You know you Good are? day, ma'am. That's how you handle a Karen. Damn it, I forgot how gratifying it is to slam the door in the face of someone who is a Karen. It's been a long time since I've done that. It felt good watching it. Let me give you the background, show you what happened leading up to this. If things are out of your control or uh -huh. out, uh -huh. you could have simply said, you know, I'm very sorry that Which I can't did. handle it this at time. Here is a card or here's a number you can call, but I'm very sorry that I can't do uh -huh. this. So here's the thing. Okay. You, you weren't privy to the entire conversation, number one. Number two, it had absolutely nothing to do with you. Number three, you came in and you didn't de-escalate, ma'am. You escalated the situation. Uh, number four, I read your unflattering review on our lovely <laughs> chef. You were upset about coffee that you came 15 minutes prior to when coffee is even served, and you were upset because it didn't come to you immediately. Oh, I didn't say anything about I, coffee. I saw it. You did. Uh, excuse I read me. You that was not You're me. Not that gonna, was me. It's 2020. We're not dealing with we are not dealing with this kind of behavior in 2022, ma'am. That's ma good. Give me my receipt, And no, receipt, you please. will not curse at me. You will step out of my office immediately. I will email I will you. step out of your you, office. We don't condone this Give behavior. Give me my receipt, please. We don't condone you this behavior what? in 2022. Out. Out. 
please. We don't condone this. And don't you ever talk to me like that. Shame on you. Oh. You need to work on your people you know skills, what? and you are not welcome back. Don't you ever I speak to me like that. Good. Thank place. you. You are a Karen. You, know you are the definition of a Karen, and we are not putting up with that in 2022. You know Good day, ma'am. Legend has it that when Karenicity rises upon the earth, that a group of powerful superheroes known as anti-Karens will emerge. Baron thoughts here. <laughs> it's 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 so wonderful, and, and I think you know part of the good, you know, uh, with what happens with these people being caught on video, is that it is empowering people to stand up to them. You know, we're we're starting to see more and more people standing up to the the Karens of the world, and but more importantly, it's not just the attitude; it's it's the disrespect, right? It, it's these people like that woman who walk in there. They want everything handed to them on a silver platter because everybody's beneath them, and doing these videos, doing these segments, it's showing these people that you know what, you're not beneath anybody. You have rights. You have, as a human being, you deserve respect. And and getting these people to demand that same respect because that that woman was not disrespectful whatsoever. She laid out her point. She had you know what, like a bullet list of like boom, 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 boom. Here's all the things that happened, and it all comes from that disrespect because these people have no regard for any other human being. They've they've got main character syndrome. Right. Everybody else is just kind of imaginary. Their lives don't matter. Nothing matters with these people. All that matters is that I'm here. I get what I want and I can treat everybody however I want to because you're all beneath me and none of you matter. You don't exist when I leave the room is what these people think. Yep. And they're they're getting it thrown back at them. And I love it. And you see this comes down to status, their perce- perceived status and the perceived status of the other. Let's put up the picture of this Karen really quickly. Uh, all right, I gotta say this, okay? That, ladies and gentlemen, is the picture of a Karen who has recognized her doom. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. An Alabama man is in prison without the possibility of parole because he stole $9 in the 1980s. Put up his picture. This man is serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole for stealing $9 in 1982. I want you to think about this. You know, there are people who are convicted of murder who do not have life without the possibility of parole. He can never get out of jail for stealing $9 in 1982. I was born in 1981. He's been in prison for my entire life. Let me give you the background. Put up his picture again. His name is Willie Jr. Simmons, Mr. Simmons. While having a criminal record at the time, his three previous convictions were all nonviolent, nonviolent offenses. This man never hurt anybody. However, 
because of those previous engagements with the criminal justice system, he was tried under Alabama's Habitual Felony Offender Act after the then 25-year-old Simmons committed his fourth crime in 1982. I'm going to give you the background to this. The governor needs to do something immediately to correct this injustice. Simmons had previously served nearly 10 months in 1975 and just shy of 16 months in 1979. Both sentences were for receiving stolen property. He was also sentenced to three years for grand larceny, 1979. His first crime had been committed before he was 18 years of age. Simmons was born into a poor household in Alabama. 1957 was the year. He had joined the U.S. Army after his earlier crimes, but became addicted to drugs while serving overseas. Um, addiction is a mental health issue. On the day of his arrest, he told Essence that he was high and looking for money to get his next fix. He tackled a man, wrestled him to the ground to steal his wallet. Inside, there was a paltry sum of $9. Simmons was caught and arrested only a few blocks away. In a trial that lasted a mere 25 minutes, 25 minutes for the whole trial, Simmons was convicted of first-degree robbery. Simmons told Essence Magazine that his court-appointed lawyer never called a single witness, nor sought a plea deal. Because of his previous convictions, he was treated as a habitual offender and given the maximum sentence, life, without the possibility of parole. You know, today we have things called specialty courts in our criminal justice system, including drug court. Drug court, and I'm thankful I have been an advocate for this and have helped implement and create multiple drug courts in America. Drug courts, they look at the why. Why did you do this offense? Because if we can attack the why, if we can somehow help you overcome the why, which is addiction, then the crime never happens. So that's what drug court is for. No special specialization back then. And he was a black man, okay? In Alabama, they were ready to throw away the key. Criminal justice system working as it was intended, completely biased. So let's put up the governor because right now, this is really the only person who can save our dear brother who should be out of prison. Simmons has repeatedly made appeals, but due to a 2014 change in the law, he will be unable to make further appeals. His only recourse is clemency from Governor Kay Ivey of Alabama. That is his last opportunity. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to publicly say, Governor, you know this ain't right. I say ain't intentionally. You know it ain't right. Do something. Yes, it will make some of your political base upset, but you are politically strong enough in Alabama to overcome it. Okay? You can do this. Do the right thing. You'll feel better about yourself when you do. Numerous outlets and public figures have also called for his release, but all efforts have resulted, excuse me, in denial. 
despite him being a model prisoner during the time he has served. 40 years later, 40 years later, at the age of 65, he remains behind bars. The Alabama chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union continues to call on the Alabama legislature to repeal the HFOA. Even if they repeal it, they would then have to create a special law to make it retroactive. What the legislature will likely do is repeal it for the future and not make it retroactive. That governor simply needs to affix a signature. Call it whatever you choose to call it, governor. Call it, you know, a graceful exit because he's an elderly man now. He has served 40 years. There are people who have committed double homicide and rape who will never get 40 years in prison. This is not justice. And everybody knows there's something terribly wrong with a man serving the rest of his life behind bars for stealing $9 because he had an addiction. He needed help, not prison. Fair and thoughts here. So far, we're talking about four and a half years per dollar. Per mm. dollar that he stole, four and a half years. And like you said, he is now an elderly man. His whole life, because of a couple mistakes in his youth, has been taken away from him. You know, he, he has already served what should be considered a life sentence. Yeah. Because he, 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 he can't have a career. He, he can't have a, a, a family. I mean, everything has already been taken away from this man. His life is taken away. And, and I think we have to start considering things like that. You know, forget the fact that obviously this was just an absolutely bogus show of a trial to just put another poor black man in Alabama in jail. That's that's obvious, but he 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 can't get it back. That's God. That's what gets so frustrating is you can't get it back. He is sixty five. Don't make this man die in prison because of nine dollars. It's time for him to be released. This is beyond sick that we even have to have this conversation today. That we even have to reach out and try to beg. Governor Kay Ivey to do something here, to do the right thing. You know, we, we, we shouldn't have to do that, and we do. And this is just one of probably countless instances like this all over the country where a man had a couple mistakes, obviously. He had an addiction, but we didn't want to address the root problem. Yep. We just said, you do bad thing, go away forever. We don't ever have to deal with you again now. That solves our problem. No, it doesn't. And all he you, had yeah. uh, ineffective counsel on yeah. top of all of that. His own advocate did not advocate for him. Uh, so we are going to. We are going to continue to advocate for Mr. Simmons. We will advocate the governor's office directly. Uh, and let me say this to the um, Alabama Bar. Alabama Bar is a very powerful outfit, nonpartisan organization. You can take a stand here. You can write a resolution, make a statement. Also, other nonprofits can do the same. And for anyone who lives in Alabama in particular, you know this is not right. Contact the governor's office quickly. Express your concern, especially if you are a person 
who is affected or has been affected by the criminal justice system? One of the saddest stories I've ever seen, a confidential informant was working for the police. The police put her in a situation, left her by herself. She gets raped while they walk down the street. Damn shame. Last January, a Louisiana woman working with local police entered a drug house wearing a hidden microphone and camera to help police gather information about the dealer. Once inside, the woman's police handlers essentially abandoned her and the dealer raped her twice, forcing her to perform oral sex on him while threatening to put her, and I quote, in the hospital. The police were supposed to be there. She was assaulted multiple times, violated over and over again. They were nowhere to be found. It was one of the worst depictions of sexual abuse I'd ever seen, said a local official who viewed the footage and spoke to AP on condition of anonymity because he was not authorized to discuss the ongoing case. Just the audio from it is enough to turn your stomach, the official said. It's a female being sexually brutalized while she's crying and whimpering. So camera, because she had a bug on her, okay? She trusted these cops. And what I'm about to expose will highlight the systemic failures inside of our criminal justice system, because all of them protected the cops and then decided to throw her under the bus and shaved a little bit off the charges from the drug dealer. Yeah, they did all of that. The Rapids Parish Sheriff's Office has spoken dismissively about how it essentially set the woman up to be attacked during the sting. Officers who were part of the operation and waiting down the block were unaware that the dealer was assaulting their informants because the microphone and the camera she wore did not allow the officers to see or hear what was going on in real time. Officers overseeing the operation also claimed they had not considered that an attack like this would happen. So why is she in this situation? Well, typically this happens uh, when an individual is caught and they have to now work for the police in some CI confidential informant capacity to avoid jail time themselves, okay? That's the operation. Uh, I'm not talking about that operation. I'm talking about what these cops did that led to this assault of the woman they were supposed to protect. Put up uh, the sheriff. Let's go to the sheriff. His name is Mark Wood. Mark Wood, the elected sheriff, blamed the January 2021 incident on the inexperience of the officers because they were only on the job six months at this time. Well, sheriff, 
if you're blaming the inexperience of your officers, I blame the negligent leadership of you because you obviously thought it was okay for officers who had been on the job for only six months to engage in such a high level operation. He told the AP and I quote, it was recording, but not to where my guys were monitoring it. There are always things you learn that you can do better. None of the deputies who arranged the undercover were disciplined. None of them were disciplined, even though the sheriff said what they did was wrong and it was because of their inexperience. None of none of them were disciplined. The sheriff said and no other agencies were asked to examine the handling of the case. It wasn't until the woman left on her own after being brutally attacked, left on her own, contacted her handlers. Okay. It was then that Antonio D. Jones was arrested on January 13th, 2021, on charges of second degree rape, false imprisonment, and distribution of meth. The sting operation was to get him, was to get that guy. They already knew he was a bad guy. They knew he was possibly dangerous. They knew his background. They knew his past issues with law enforcement and violence. They still left her there. They didn't care. Last month, prosecutors without explanation, you know what they did? They reduced his charges. They reduced them. They reduced his charges from forcible second degree rape to third degree rape or simple rape, which significantly lowers the jail time possible for this individual who committed rape on camera. Now, why would a prosecutor basically drop the charges or downgrade them when the crime is on tape? Why? Because if they do a light prosecution on the predator, it does not seem as bad on the cop. But it is a horrible reality for the victim. There's more. Um, let's put up the picture of Philip here. Weeks before the charges were reduced, the DA, Philip Terrell, defended the deputy's handling of the case. He told uh, the AP, had they known that was occurring, they would have certainly stopped it. One of their big concerns now is the safety of the confidential informant. That's what he said. Uh, whatever the deal the woman struck, her cooperation did not seem to matter in clearing her own criminal record. Let me go to that. Just three weeks after this recording, three weeks, court records show the woman was charged with possession of drug paraphernalia stemming from an arrest that happened about a month before the sting as she's been pulled over and booked on possession charges at least twice since then. The woman pleaded guilty to possessing drug paraphernalia last year and was placed in behavioral health court in lieu of jail time. Lieutenant Mark Parker, the ranking officer in the operation who retired this month, told the AP that the sheriff's office did not start using equipment capable of monitoring in real time until after the alleged rape and often would send informants into stings without any recording equipment at all. We've always done it this way, Parker said. 
she was an addict. She was an addict. That's what he said. We just use her as an informant like we've done a million times before. Looking back, it's easy to say, what if? She's not an addict. She's a human being. She's not an addict. She's a person. But you cannot see her as human because you have disregarded your own humanity. And when you have done that, you no longer have the lens to properly see those around you. Fair and thoughts here. When we talk about the justice system in the United States, especially with regards to police officers, there is nothing, there, there's almost nothing at all that police officers can do that their you know, brothers in the uniform are not gonna make excuses for. And yes, that does extend in many instances to the attorneys, to the prosecutors that these people work with on a weekly basis. It's one big club, it's one big team, and they will demonize, they will dehumanize whoever they can to make their guys who have messed up look better, look like we're not the bad guys here. This was, oh, well, they were running away from us. So of course we had to put 20 bullets in their back. Oh, well, yeah, she got raped while we were supposed to be protecting her, but come on, she was a drug addict. These individuals in this little group, this little brotherhood, they don't see other human beings as human beings. Yeah. They are tools, they are, they are obstacles, they're inanimate objects to be used and disposed of. That's what we are to these people inside that special little club. And, and, and I almost also want to just talk about the fact that we send police officers, police departments, you know, millions and millions of dollars every year of all this surplus military equipment. We have police departments out there that got military grade drones and we can't get cameras that give a live feed in the year 2021, they couldn't get that, but we'll give them whatever weapon of war they need. You know, maybe instead of feeding them more guns and ammo, maybe it's time we start investing in computer equipment. Maybe get these guys some GoPros, yeah. maybe work on, you know, stronger, faster internet connections so that when your informant's getting raped, you're not sitting down the street in your car drinking coffee wondering what's taken her so long. We have better technology. We had it in 2021 as well. There is no reason this should have happened. Stop giving the police all these fancy, flashy, new undercover vehicles and maybe invest in tools that'll actually help solve some crimes. Farewell said, and listen, this is corruption. This cannot be fixed with some kind of sensitivity training. We have to stop thinking reform only and start thinking replacement. Some of these cats are rotten to the core. They deserve to be exited from the industry. All right, we got more indisputable stick and stay. There's a guy, he was suffering a mental health episode. He calls the police for help. Here's what happened to him. Drop the knife! Please drop the knife! Lord, Lord, 
Brandy, you got that door held shut? He went for you, William, right? He's flitting his throat. God damn it, no! No! Go get my medical bag out of the kit! Drop it, Christian! Oh my God. What do we do? Get that knife, he dropped it! Open the door, get the knife out! Unlock the door! Unlock the door! Where's my baton? Okay, come on, Christian. Come on, Christian. The original officer that fired gunshots through the windshield said that he was in imminent danger of being stabbed. So he believed that this individual was going to somehow bypass the windshield and stab him. Let me give you the full video. Here it is. Can you break it outward? Christian, can you break the window this way? You want Saudi? I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep his attention okay. here. I got knife. Just a few rocks in his hand so far. I'm 16, I'll be forcing at you. Got the knife. Drop knife. It, buddy. Hey, Watch out. Watch crossfire. Watch crossfire. Trooper on me. On me. On me. Drop the knife! Drop the knife! It's in his hand, Chief. Bill, you still got beanbag? Yep. Get that knife out of his hand. Impact! 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 Not dropping it. Drop the knife, Christian! Drop the knife! Don't do it, Christian! Don't do it! Drop the knife! Drop the knife! Drop that knife! Someone tase his ass. Someone tase him. He went for you, William, right? He's flitting his throat. God damn it, no! No! Go get my medical bag out of the kit! Let's put his picture up full mass. Okay? He was frightened. He was scared. You're looking at 22-year-old Christian Glass. Christian Glass is now dead. His car was immobile. It could not move. He was going through a mental health issue. He called 911, and it was noted he sounded mentally unstable. He had a knife in his hand. You know what they could have done? They could have stepped back and spoke to him. That's what they could have done. Where was he going? His car did not move. It was not operational. He was inside of a closed vehicle. Why did they have to shoot him? Why did they have to kill him? They could have literally waited, called in a negotiator, 
called in a mental health professional, had a conversation with this young man. He called 911 because there was a part of him that said, I know something's wrong and I need help. And 911 is supposed to help. He knew that he was trying to get out of a bad situation. They came and made it much worse. They killed him. Let's put his picture up again. Christian Glass, 22 years of age, apparently got his car stuck on a rural road near Silver Plume, Colorado. When he phoned 911 for help, he sounded mentally unstable, paranoid, and extremely scared. He even told the operator his car was ensnared in a trap in a bush, and he did not like the town he was in. A Boulder County resident, Glass was an amateur geologist. Okay. And had some knives and a hammer in his car from a recent trip to Utah. Glass, whose parents are from the United Kingdom and New Zealand, told the dispatcher he had what could be perceived as weapons in the car, and he offered to throw them outside when officers arrived. The dispatcher replayed that info to deputies. When they arrived on the scene, Glass again offered to throw the tools and the knives out the window. Deputies said... They did not want him to throw the weapons out of the car and instead demanded that he get out of the car himself. After roughly 70 minutes of negotiating with Glass to get out of the car, a deputy broke his passenger side window. Footage shows Glass picked up a knife after deputies broke his window. He is heard screaming as officers shoot him with beanbag rounds and use tasers and as he's holding the knife. Seconds later, one of the deputies opened fire with a handgun shooting multiple rounds. Now remember, you have about 10, maybe more cops on the scene at this point. Only one deputy felt as if it was necessary to kill Mr. Glass. That's already a problem. That means that 90 plus percent of the cops who were there did not believe there was an imminent threat to them, except for this one deputy. Let's put up the county sheriff this is Clear Creek County Sheriff Rick Oliver's, right? Um, this is an interesting dynamic because the sheriff uh, is basically standing behind it. The deputy who fatally shot Glass has not been charged, has not been charged and was placed on administrative leave pending an investigation. The sheriff's office uh, officer also stated Glass attempted to stab a deputy. Did, wait a minute. He was going to stab the deputy through the windshield, according to their narrative. Roughly 45 minutes after the officers arrived at the scene, Colorado State Patrol can be heard of a radio recording saying Glass committed no crime. That's what they're saying on the radio. He committed no crime as he posed no harm to himself or others. Lawyers argue that the responding deputies escalated the situation by acting aggressively towards Glass. His parents say their son may have been having a mental health episode when he reached out to emergency personnel on June 10th. So damn sad. Once again, a highlight of the ineffectiveness of our criminal justice system, of the police in particular, how we do not have the lens of humanity when we deal with societal issues that permeate in our culture. This should not have been abnormal for the police to encounter. All right, fair thoughts here. 
You know, uh, cops in the United States, and you, you know, you you talk about this all the time. You and I have talked about this so many times. They're just taught, end it. Don't don't worry about de-escalating. Just end the situation, whatever way you can. And, and they've seen far too many times throughout our history of just the last couple decades. They're probably going to get away with it. You know, they're they're probably not really going to have to face any tough questions. That individual, that young man in that car did not pose a threat to anybody. They did escalate that situation. They made whatever mental health crisis he was suffering from so much worse. He didn't call them because he was involved in a crime or because something terrible was happening to him. He called 911 because his car stopped, because he got it stuck. They could have calmly walked up to the car and said, hey man, Oh, that's that that's terrible, right? It happens to me before too. Uh, let's get you situated. You want us to call a tow truck? I'm, I mean, ju- that that that's what should have happened. In fact, nine one one should not have dispatched police officers to the situation. It should have been other first responders, yeah. right? I, I mean, a, a firefighter or or even a an ambulance would have been able to handle the situation and also call for a tow truck but dealt with him as a human being instead of, as the cops see him, just somebody with a giant target on them that I need to shoot at. Beanbags, tasers, and then finally the fatal shots because this man was in a vehicle closed until they broke the window with a small knife. This is, this. I I just, I can't, I can't anymore. You just can't. You hear one cop saying in the background, what have we done? He said, what have we done? A man with a mental health episode dies in police custody. It's a big mystery. We need answers. Let me go to the first video. Here it is. Jarvis Evans called 911 for himself during a mental health episode last July, according to the lawsuit. Audio of the call suggests that Evans felt threatened. Uh, I think somebody died here uh, stalking us and they're just uh, all over the place. And I just need the officer to come out here. I just feel like my life is in danger. The lawsuit says that Evans suffered from mental illness and that sheriff's deputies routinely helped transport Evans to a psychiatric facility. On the night of July 29th, according to the lawsuit, his mother told a deputy on scene that she believed Evans had, quote, taken some drugs laced with something and requested he be taken to the hospital. But the lawsuit says officials took Evans to the Johnson Detention Center instead, with plans to charge him with two misdemeanors, a breach of peace and resisting arrest. Damn shame. Uh, Later in that same report, they would show Evans being abused while in custody. Here it is. When they arrive, Evans is allegedly placed in a chokehold against a glass window. The department prohibits all forms of chokeholds, according to the lawsuit. No, you don't. Y'all hurt me. I didn't hurt no, you. No, y'all hurt me. Y'all killed me. Evans complains of being unable to breathe and begins screaming for his mother's help. Mom, got my ID. Deputies place leg restraints on Evans. Oh, man, down. The deputies put a spit mask on Evans's head, then lift him off the ground and into an emergency restraint chair. Maybe if you didn't come in acting like a complete or we wouldn't have to do this to you. Deputies continue to secure him in the chair, then take out tasers. Move any leg, I will take you. 
tried to kick us. But no, I didn't. I yeah, you did. To... Moments later, as Evans grows more agitated, a deputy allegedly tases him at least three times. Evans is then brought to a cell, which is when the released video ends. He died, 40 years of age. Now, when a person is experiencing a mental health episode, when they have this level of paranoia, it's all real. It is all real to them. Just as real as I'm broadcasting to you right now, that is how they are perceiving the threat they are mentioning. It is that real to them. These deputies were aware of his mental health diagnosis because they had transported him multiple times to a mental health facility from that same home. Put up his picture. Following the tasing shown on the video, Evans did not receive any medical attention whatsoever while at the jail before he later was found unresponsive at his cell, 2.59 a.m. The following morning, he died at age 40. Rosalind Henderson Myers is the attorney representing the estate of Jarvis Evans in the wrongful death lawsuit. Henderson Myers says the Lawrence County Sheriff's Office has not given, given her or Evans' family an explanation or, or for why he died. Died in their custody, but claimed the 40-year-old was being watched every 15 minutes. They said they were watching him every 15 minutes in their reports, but that's not true. Henderson Myers said of the sheriff's office claims. Uh, we're gonna continue to follow this story. Obviously something does not smell right here. Once again, criminal justice system working in a way adversarial to those who actually need help rather than incarceration. My dear brother, what are your thoughts here? It, we, we have to have a nationwide program to where we end up with a new system of mental health first responders. That, yeah. That's what we have to have in this country, and it has to be nationwide. This is not something we can leave to the states because we'll end up with more situations like this. But that is the only solution to all of this violence that we see, because to me, it seemed like those cops maybe just got tired of having to take this guy to the mental health facility. And maybe they said, you know what? Let's make sure they never call us again. Not saying they intentionally killed him, but let's make sure that this uh, experience is so horrendous that they'll think twice before using us to have to take care of this man. That that's what I feel like happened here. And you know, maybe maybe they didn't intend to kill him. Maybe they didn't know he was going to die. But I guarantee you, none of them are sad that it happened. That's what we're dealing with. Ithaca, New York, has a great model that uh, the country can follow. Also, the Biden administration, they could eliminate federal funding to police departments that do not have a robust mental health response unit. No law is required for that. Biden can do that with a signature. He won't, but he could. Always a pleasure having you on the program, dear brother. Tell people how they can follow you. Check out your great work. Thank you. Yeah, you can get me YouTube.com slash The Ring of Fire. Also, YouTube.com slash Fair and Balanced. And then uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Fair and Balanced. Always good having you, my friend. And keep up the amazing reporting, brother. Love Thank you. Yourself. Same to you. I appreciate it. All right. Twitch Awaition Room is next. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.